Welcome to the White Coat Life Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Certified Coach Paula White, MD. If you're a physician in academic medicine looking for skills to understand and take control of your experiences, both in work and out, this is a great place to start. Hey everyone, welcome back. This episode is going to be the last in the series of the experience of being sued. Just to recap, in part one, we did a superficial overview of how the experience can play out for you and did some models about what you create by different types of thoughts. In part two last week, we went into a little more detail using an example where you have provided appropriate care and it was a patient that you had at least a little connection with, but there was an undesired outcome. Today, we're going to get even more challenging and talk about your experience when either something that most people would consider to be a mistake happened along the way, or when it's not 100% clear what the standard of care is and your care is being questioned. Before we get into this, I want to take a minute to point out that these types of cases are likely to have a higher emotional toll on you and therefore are more likely to need therapy. As a reminder, coaching is never a substitute for therapy. Coaching is not appropriate when there's emotional trauma that has not yet been processed. As I've said before, coaching and therapy can complement each other well in some instances, but not if there's still any serious emotional trauma that needs to be processed. The types of patient care situations we're talking about in these three episodes are the types that may require therapy even when there's no lawsuit. When a patient has an unexpected and undesired outcome, we need to make sure we're giving ourselves the resources we need to have our own recovery. I know I'm a bit of a broken record on this topic, but it's important. For today's discussion, I'm not going to give an example scenario. If I presented a scenario and described an error or a deviation from accepted standards, there will definitely be someone out there listening who has been in that situation and they might feel like they're being called out or it might make someone relive something they really weren't ready to do. And really, to discuss the coaching part of this, the details don't actually matter at all. That's another difference between coaching and therapy. The details of the background are irrelevant in coaching. All we really need to know is what you're thinking, and we can take it from there. Sometimes it's even better without the details because details can be a distraction. But anyway, the basic supposition for today is that there was something in the care that probably wasn't ideal. We're going to assume that this is what most reasonable physicians in your specialty, in your community, would agree on. This is not a case of being stuck in one of those thoughts from last week, like, they think I did something wrong, which then results in you thinking you did something wrong. Now, you might be thinking, but how would I know the difference? If I think I did something wrong, how do I know if I've just convinced myself of that or whether there really was a problem? Well, here's an exercise that I like to try. Imagine this same care was delivered by a colleague that you like and respect, but not someone you idolize or that you have a blind spot for. You don't want to plug in a mentor or someone you've never actually worked with because it's easy to think that someone like that is perfect and infallible. But if you have a colleague that you know, warts and all, and you generally think of them as someone you'd be comfortable with taking care of someone close to you, if that colleague was in your same situation, would you think their care was acceptable? If the answer is yes, but you simultaneously think that your care was not acceptable, you've got some thought work to do. That's when you can go back to some of the things we covered last week 
and work on believing that there are other possible truths in addition to the one that feels so certain to you right now. However, if you're pretty sure this is something where there was a legit shortcoming or error or something similar, now we need to find the balance. Clearly, it would not be a good idea to work on changing your thoughts to dismiss any role that you might have had in the undesired outcome because then you lose the opportunity for growth. If you don't examine failures and learn from them, those same failures are likely to keep happening or worse. On the other hand, we need to find a way to do that without falling down a rabbit hole of blame and shame because that only makes things worse. Remember last week when we modeled out those two thoughts, they think I did something wrong was one, and they think I'm a bad doctor was another. I'm only using those two as examples because they're common ones and they're broad enough to be really generic. But if you're frequently having any thoughts similar to those and it takes root in your brain, it has the possibility of eroding your confidence and actually affecting your abilities in the future. So clearly we don't want that. Let's take a quick minute to talk about shame. I am not an expert in shame. I mentioned in one of the early podcast episodes that I don't really care for Brene Brown's books and I know shame is a big topic for her. I don't have any argument with her content. It's just her style and delivery that don't really appeal to me. But as a brief overarching concept, shame does not drive improvement. We think it does. We think we need it to make us better. But really, it usually makes things worse. Shame is a normal human emotion, so we all experience it. And I'm pretty sure we all wish we didn't. There is a way to benefit from shame, but it's not by emphasizing it or encouraging it. I learned this from my instructor when I was doing my coach certification. She says, shame helps me see the person I want to become. And I think that's pretty brilliant. So as an example, once I was getting coaching on the shame I was feeling for having said something gossipy and being overheard by ears that I really wished hadn't heard it. This was a really, really useful coaching session for me because the coach was not really meeting me where I was at first. It was someone I hadn't met before and not someone I already had a rapport with. I came to the coaching session wanting help with actually experiencing and allowing the shame to happen instead of suppressing it and trying to forget about it, which is what I usually would like to do. But the coach mistook that for me trying to beat myself up. It took a bit of explaining, but we finally connected and then got through the experiencing of it. If you can allow yourself to experience your shame when it happens, you can come out of it on the other side with a better understanding of how you want to grow as a person. In the moment of shame, the belief is that you did something because you are a bad person. If you don't allow the shame to do its thing, you're likely to keep thinking you're just a bad and broken person. But if you sit with it and realize that as uncomfortable as it is, it doesn't physically harm you, once you get to the other side, you have the ability to look at things from a more logical point of view, and then it can be no longer something like, I said that gossipy thing because I'm a terrible person, and more like, I made a mistake. You can then do your stepping stones and eventually get yourself to something like, I strive to be a person who recognizes an urge to gossip and chooses not to act on it. So why the big tangent about shame? Because it's not a tangent at all. In the types of scenarios we're talking about today, it's very likely that shame is going to have a lot of real estate in your brain. Having a good toolkit for handling shame and using it for betterment can be a game changer. The process goes something like this. We sort through the thoughts and find one that is causing shame. Next comes experiencing, 
letting it wash over you, paying attention to what it feels like in your body, giving it a color and a texture and a speed and a location, maybe even an odor. All of the things that help you pinpoint how you're experiencing it. Then, as it starts to wane, we start working on the stepping stones to get you from the shame-producing thought, which by definition will include something about how you are bad or broken, to the aspirational thought, I strive to be someone who does X, Y, and Z. This might take some time. It might take several sessions, either by yourself or with a coach or maybe even with a friend who's willing to sit and listen without trying to convince you that you're perfect and everything's fine. Like most of the negative emotions, shame is not going to just fade away and be gone. It's sort of like waves on the beach as the tide is going out. At first, the waves are big and close to each other. Then they gradually drift down and get smaller. But sometimes another big one comes up again. The net result is that it's receding, but it's not in a consistent or linear fashion. So right about now, you might be wondering, but if I work through the shame and let go of it, isn't that just letting myself off the hook? Isn't that like pretending I did everything perfectly and I have no culpability here when all signs are pointing to that not being true? Well, I think you know I'm going to say no, but of course I need to explain that a little bit more. So let's use a less emotionally charged example than thinking of this in terms of a bad outcome for a patient. Let's say someone cheated on a test and got away with it, but feels guilty and ashamed. They might be thinking something like, I'm nothing but a cheater, and feeling ashamed about it, which leads them to ruminate about what a terrible person they must be to have done such a thing, and remembering all the other times in their life when they've done something they think is wrong or bad, and focusing on how broken they must be because they knew it was wrong and did it anyway. And the result is they now have no confidence in their abilities to do anything because they've built a really solid case that they're just a cheater. So once again, see how the shame in and of itself does not make you a better person? If we're going to break this down and be able to do some stepping stones, the first thing we have to do is to make their thought more neutral. We're not going to ignore the facts. We're just removing the judgment and the commentary. So obviously thinking, I'm nothing but a cheater, that's not going to work. All right, how about, I cheated on that test? Well, that's better, but still no, because cheated is such an emotionally charged word. How about we list out exactly what they did? I wrote out crib notes and hid them in my pocket. Okay, good, that's factual, but it's missing the part where this is a problem. So how about, I wrote out crib notes and hid them in my pocket, and this is against the rules. So there it is. This is where you can see how you can be still 100% taking responsibility that you did the bad thing, but dropping the part where you're the bad person. So the new thought is, I wrote out crib notes and hid them in my pocket, and this is against the rules. And that sentence might be able to generate things like regret, remorse, embarrassment. It's possible it will create shame, but it's a little less likely than when you're thinking, I'm nothing but a cheater. Regret, remorse, embarrassment, those are emotions that come when you think, I did something bad, versus shame, which comes from thinking, I am bad. As long as you're stuck in the mindset that you are just bad, there's no growth, there's no improvement. 
This is why it's so important to put the work in and make those stepping stones and practice and practice and keep working on it until you can get to that more factual, neutral place where you can start to work your way to the other bank of the river, where you're the kind of person who, when they feel an urge to use crib notes on a test, acknowledges the urge and declines because they'd rather experience the consequences of feeling underprepared for the test than the things that come from cheating. And this, my friends, is the approach that can help someone who wishes they had done something differently with care they delivered, lawsuit or not. It can help someone pick themselves up after a bad outcome and learn and grow and be a better doctor and still love their job rather than being consumed by fear. Once again, since this really can't be said too much, the emotional trauma needs the proper therapy first, and then coaching can help with the learning and growth. All right, it has been a heavy couple of weeks, but it's such an important topic. I knew we needed to cover it. Thanks for sticking through all three episodes. I haven't decided for sure what's coming next week, but I'm going to try and find something a little bit lighter at least. Have a great week. I will see you back next time. Any opinions or views on this podcast or on my website are my own and should not be attributed to my employer.